Breakers, and welcome to the 52nd episode of Project CDOT Break. I am Mike Senior, and I am here with a man striving to sound as bad as Captain Beefheart. Yes, it's John <laughs> Whitten. It's a life's goal. <laughs> I learned something about Trout Mask Replica, that famous Beefheart album, yeah. the other day. Now, I wonder if you've heard the same stories I had. I don't know. I used to have a huge Beefheart fan sitting opposite me in the Sound on Sound office. Oh, I'm sure you've heard everything then. I don't know. I might have forgotten it by now, to be honest. It's that long ago. On a scale of... <laughs> Free impro yeah. to Frank Zappa, every note written down. Yeah. With its dynamic and expression or whatever. Where did you put Beefheart? I thought Beefheart was quite planned. Me too. And the mythos around Trout Face Mask Replica, I can never remember the name. Yeah, the only album out there with Trout and Mask and Replica in the title. Right. Is absolutely that it was to the semi demi hemi quaver. Planned and written and yeah. taught and incredibly meticulously rehearsed. Turns out that is nonsense. <laughs> That's not even Captain Beefheart's nonsense. That was the label oh, wow. looking for a way to make this music slightly more palatable. Oh, You know, wow. because the audio doesn't do it for you. I love it, but it's not exactly appealing in, in, in obvious ways. Yeah. So they thought, well, what if we got people in the door by saying, look, this is transcribed. This is written music. How incredible is that? Basically, they pulled the old serialism gag, didn't they? <laughs> a little bit, yes. It's like, it may sound like utter nonsense, but there is a structure to it. Mm. It's just that you're not yet clever enough to understand it. I mean, isn't that the best way to get the music snobs on side? Get the suits on board. My God, yes. <laughs> and it worked hook, line and sinker on me but the thing is now that you know this i invite you to go back to the music and certainly everyone who i've had this conversation with it's been the same response you listen back and you go well i guess yeah duh like i don't know how i imagined for a second that this was quote unquote written like there is no graphic score in the world open enough to capture any of this nonsense that's absurd and that you know i'm sure that they couldn't possibly have done that album if they knew that that was what the label was going to be doing. Oh, I'm sure you're right. Because otherwise they would certainly have corpsed mid-take. <laughs> oh, they're never going to believe this is planned. Yes! Oh, it, it would have ruined the album. But that combination of absolute, just irreverent, hurling, angry, passionate talent at microphones, and then the little <laughs> tweak from the money-minded label, yeah. who said, let's also just put in that he's a written music genius. Oh, Wow, that's so good. And the legend was born. It's not far off, you know, putting your kids' crayon scribbles into, you know, some art competition and winning it, isn't it? Well, this is what I thought as well. My five-year-old could play guitar like this. Until you tried it. <laughs> and I went to myself, oh, no, some very talented musicians who've decided to put their talent in this direction for reasons still not entirely clear to me can sound like this. Well, we now know that it was one of a kind. It was unrepeatable. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I just, you got a feel for the cover bands <laughs> who, who also bought this line and just, just sat at home <laughs> I'm wondering how you even start writing this down so how did the um, how did the showcase go the showcase was magnificent thank you very much fabulous we held it on Monday which was the hottest day in England ever recorded <laughs> and but it was as nothing as to the white heat of your inspiration no no I think it I think it won out on that like I think definitely the sun wins <laughs> 
Um, it was a great showcase, don't get me wrong, but we can't stand to the sun. Mm. So we had various of the great and good along, and you know, very, very grateful for their attendance. Our guest list had skewed quite establishment. Right. And of course, one gets established by spending time doing something. It seems like a, a, a fair way of being that. Mm. And having spent time doing something, you will find yourself slightly older than people who spent less time doing it. Uh. Again, no value judgment is just the way. Yeah. And so it turns out, asking a large group of people who are over 80... <laughs> to travel into central London in 40 degree heat. So we didn't quite pack the bleachers, Yeah, but we had, by definition, an extremely dedicated audience <laughs> who had all but swam through hell to get there. So extremely useful feedback. And also just a team with the commitment to film up until the sharing, then do the sharing, yeah, and then rush the audience out, rush around and keep filming so that we could get some nighttime shots in the church. Wow. So really excited with where it is currently in the middle of my 48 hours of not thinking about it and <laughs> trying to sort out the rest of my life which has fallen to more than usual shambles in the last two weeks <laughs> in the in the absence of any attention there we go and and from there we'll try and get this trailer out and apply for the next round of funding and you know yeah um which gets me to Mike. have you could you say to me of all people that you've earned your tea break well i think i kind of have it's been a bit same old same old but i mean i can scarcely talk about whether I've had my tea break because okay. I'm so excited about a new development. Oh yes, do tell. Are you close to a web browser? Uh, yes, I, I have one at my computer. Can you go to the premium search engine of all search engines, Google? I, I will go to Google, which I believe is how it's pronounced. And I would like you to type in, with quote marks that make it a phrase, mm -hmm. open quotes, Stereo toast foley, close quotes. Wait, what? <laughs> okay, I'm a, I'm a, I'm stereo toast foley, close quotes. Mm -hmm. Hitting enter. Zeppelin Design Labs Cortado Mark III. Yeah. And what else? That's the only result I'm getting. It looks like there aren't any great matches for you. That's it. Have you ever put anything into Google and got only <laughs> one result? <laughs> You know, it has a name. <laughs> it was me thinking I was ruining your moment. <laughs> no, no, it has a name. It's called a Google Whack. Really? Yeah, we've created our very own Google Whack, which is a tremendously rare thing. That is okay. I'm just a thing that only brings up one Google search result. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna Google mm -hmm. fish face heavy. In quotes, mind you, so this is not just those words, this is the phrase fish face heavy, gets me seven results. <laughs> there is no way that that number should be bigger than stereo toast holy. <laughs> Three equally ridiculous words. And furthermore, it makes the achievement even more towering. Mm. Google scrapes the sound on sound site, which that article's on, pretty quickly. And that article was published right at the end of December last year. That is incredibly impressive. So it's been a Google work for more than six months. Just a little update on a leaderboard that only I'm following. Pringles often sheep, <laughs> 67 <laughs> results. I, I don't know how this has come up as many times as but pringles often sheep is 67 times more commonplace to discuss than stereo toast foley yeah that is quite something and to have remained as you say for so long <laughs> in a class entirely of its own i mean the problem is the moment you talk about a google whack it tends to generate other search results yeah you break it so they tend to be very short-lived but we'll see whether it survives a month i mean i won't 
put it in the show notes, the actual phrase. Oh, okay, nice. And just say we got a Google whack, and then see how long it lasts. I don't hate the idea of having two or three. The other two or three being references to the Google whack and only the the, the singular search result. <laughs> I don't know. I like the idea of it standing forever, but I could be happy if if it fell in that way. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna do one more lentils <laughs> coaster. As you might be able to guess, I'm sitting in a kitchen. <laughs> Give me a third. What are you looking at? Switcher. Lentils, coaster, switcher. <laughs> Inside quotes. And you can do this one at home. 982,000. It is an astonishing, towering achievement. I am baffled, Mike. <laughs> Who even knows anymore? The second thing that filled me with a great, great deal of delight. Okay. And I don't know whether you spotted this, but I felt that this was practically tailor-made. Um, have you heard of Game of Shrooms? I have not heard of Game of Shrooms, no. <laughs> what What the hell is Game of Shrooms, Mike? <laughs> do you, I mean, do you want to hazard a guess? I mean, okay. <laughs> have you, I will ask, come across Drunk Shakespeare? <laughs> no, but it sounds great. It's an Edinburgh phenomena where a cast rehearsed a perfectly workable staging of, of a well-known Shakespeare play. Yeah. And then each night on stage before they start chosen by a dice roll or a spinning bottle or something, one of the actors drinks two bottles of wine. Oh, and wow. then they do the play. <laughs> everyone else is sober and trying to make it work. They're doing their level best. Everyone is doing their level best against this monumental handicap. So my best guess is that it's people reenacting Game of Thrones, but on psilocybin, on magic mushrooms. Oh, that's, that is actually an excellent idea. But... A TM, like that's, that's one of mine. No one can steal that. Yeah. But no, this happened actually on, on June the 11th okay. this year. And it's a regular thing now. It's been running for a little while. And it was created by an artist who goes under the name Attaboy. Okay. It's a worldwide art and seek event. Art and seek? Where people create art, mm -hmm. hide it in public places, and then provide hints on social media for other people to go look for it. And if they find it... They're allowed to keep it. That's really cool. And it's such a cool idea. That's an amazing idea. Is this about getting in like really heavy hitter artists or is this more kind of within the community? If you make, then just like get involved. Is Are there barriers to entry? What's the... Well, the thing is, this is worldwide. Oh, wow. I'll tell you what, I'll, let me send you a link quick. Okay, yeah, yeah. This is a like an interactive map they've created showing this year where all the different bits of art were. Oh, my word. Oh, they're still loading. <laughs> okay, Wow. <laughs> That is unfathomably dense. What I'm looking at is a Google Maps just covered in little mushroom icons. Yeah. And as I zoom, they don't get any less dense. And of course, they were in Berlin. You you just didn't know they were there. Oh my word. Yes, I'm going straight to Berlin. <laughs> I need I need to see what's what. There were a fair few in Berlin as well. Yeah. And if I click on them, can I see what they were? Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, don't, John, because that's bad podcasting. But still, this is really... <laughs> This is very, very exciting. But the thing is, I was secretly hoping that if I clicked on one of the ones in Berlin, mm. it would be a picture of John buried in the dirt. <laughs> because all the art has to be mushroom related. Okay. That's why it's called Game of Shrooms. This was, I was coming to this question because it was not immediately clear to me <laughs> how we got that name. So I thought, yeah, if we buried John <laughs> as part of the mushroom related... Next time, we could, is this annual? Yes, it is. Well, I mean, well then... 
But I mean, the downside is someone could come along, find you and take you home. And then we'd never see John again, potentially. You might be in some person's <laughs> art collection. Look, what we do is, yeah, we, we strap a podcasting kit to me. All right, there you go. Yeah, there you, go, and you can commentate from your frame subsequently. There you go. Uh, we just we just set it up, you know, to live stream, and I'll just chat continually through the month, and that won't be any harder an editing job than you have editing editing how we do it now. <laughs> yeah, maybe you'll have a bit more flexibility. And there are some lovely, lovely little bits in the FAQs. Oh yeah, um, such as can anyone participate? The answer is yes, and of all ages and abilities. So long as you're not a jerk. (laughs) I love it. That's really sweet. And there's another question. Does it have to be a mushroom-themed piece of art? And the, the answer is, that's the idea. Mushrooms are varied, though, and art critics have not been invited to weigh in on the subject. <laughs> oh, they sound lovely. I have lots of time for that kind of random stuff. I mean, that's wonderful. I'm so glad that's happening. And I don't hate the idea of trying to get something out there next year. Absolutely. Wherever we are. I mean, it feels like there should be a PSTB mushroom-related piece of art. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, a collector's item. Mm. Edition of one. And have you seen any of the bits of art? I haven't, no. I've been resisting clicking too much because I, I don't think... As an audio medium, me going to people's Instagrams is necessarily the way forward. But what's what are your tips? Try this. Loading, loading. Oh my word. These are stunning. Yeah. And very mushroomy. Yeah. So while nothing that you've said isolates these to hallucinogenic mushrooms. Yeah. And I'm confident from the tone of the organization that, you know, Portobello inspired work would be incredibly welcome. <laughs> Most of the artists seem to have wandered towards a slightly different take. There's an underlying theme of psychedelia about a lot of it. Yes. Certainly. Certainly. These are not mushrooms for a risotto. No, no. They're mushrooms. Mushrooms with googly eyes and... <laughs> yes, yes. Eyes that look straight into your soul. Suggestively shaped stems. But absolutely gorgeous pieces. Yeah. And what's lovely is seeing the ones where kind of in their new home. Yeah. Where people have got them in their garden and places. I particularly like the knitted one. Yes. No, the little, <laughs> the little friendly crocheted <laughs> mushroom friend giving a wave. Cast your mind back, John, a few months. Okay, I'm, I'll try. I think you might remember me talking about a sample library called Groove Shadows. <gasps> no, I do. I love these guys. Like, I ugh, I can't afford it. It's very reasonably <laughs> priced, but I can't afford it. So these are, for those of you who don't obsess about this stuff like I do... These are beats. Mm. Yeah, it's a beat library. Yeah. But it's designed to be put on top of drums. It's all those gorgeous little ghost sounds Mm. that take something from sounding like it was played in on a keyboard Mm. to make it sounding (laughs) like it was played by an incredibly talented drummer Mm. who's just, you know, really there with the kit and playing every bit of it and playing every subdivision and every sub of every subdivision. Yeah, and it kind of, it adds texture and grain and and also bits of kind of atmospheric little squeaks and noises and stuff, yeah. I'm an absolutely huge fan. Well, it does have some difficulties, though. Okay, okay. One is that you have to worry about the tempo sync of what you're doing. So if you've got something that isn't tempo synced, then it doesn't work quite as well. Right. Now, is that because presumably each of its samples is just at a tempo? Well, it's at a tempo and then it's kind of sliced up and you do it in a little instrument that they provide that then kind of matches the tempo of what you're doing. Okay, so if you program in the tempo drift? You could. Or is that... You could, but if you've got something that's a kind of a weird shuffle rhythm or it's just not adhering to any kind of rhythmic thing, if it's a bit more freeform, it wouldn't really work. Mm. And also it's kind of designed around like four bar loops and things. And so if you're doing funny 
see time signatures or anything that kind of stuff. It's not as quite as flexible. Yeah. And also, the sounds that are provided in the instrument, there's quite a lot of variety to them. They're quite usable. Mm. But you can't really import any of your own stuff in there. Well, really? So if you want to develop your own textures within that format, you can't really do it. It's all pretty much shrink-wrapped into what it does. See, as you're laying out these things, which, you know, I'm not going to say problems, but limitations yeah. of the instrument, I'm just getting more and more excited because we've done this for a while <laughs> and I've yet to hear you do a news story which says, hey, remember this cool thing? Here's a few small problems with it. Just thought you ought to know that it's while it's good, it's imperfect and we should we should remember, you know, that, that, that heroes don't exist outside of fiction. Yeah. Anyway, facepalm. <laughs> while I reflect on its limitations, there's just something bubbling up inside of me and I, I wanted you to know that. Well, the thing about it is that there's a company called Sound Ghost who have come up with a slightly different take on this idea. Okay. That rather than creating samples that are in themselves rhythmic mm. and then synchronizing them alongside your rhythmic programming, mm. they take samples that aren't really rhythmic. They're just static. I say static, but they're just kind of slowly evolving or moving, modulating textures. Okay. And then they use an envelope follower Ooh. to put the rhythmic information into it based upon the rhythmic information that you send from your track. So something like just a side-chained gate? It's a little bit like that, but it's a bit more sophisticated. Okay, but to a first approximation... It creates a sonic texture mm. that maps the transient and rhythmic information in whatever you feed to it. Interesting. So you can layer these kinds of textural sounds in with drum loops in a kind of a groove shadowsy kind of way, but whatever they play, it follows it. Oh, okay, so now you can play along. And it, it includes like a library of 200 odd sounds. I need to hear this so bad. And allows you to import your own samples. From the way you're describing it, it sounds like you could even use it live. Oh, yeah. Again, I'm going to think of it as a sign-chained gate or sign-chained ducker, like I'm, I'm understanding that it's a more nuanced thing than that. Yeah. But you could just have that plugged into your drum mics. Well, yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, you could have multiple instances. So you could have different textures being added to different things. Wow. Okay, yep. So you could have one on the... Okay, I need to hear this now. I really need to hear this. <laughs> okay. First is a drum loop. Okay, cool. It sounds very compressed to me. Yeah, it is. But like, it, it sounds, sounds to me like a, a sample-based drum loop. And then I've created three little textures with this SoundGhost plugin. Okay. Mixing different uh, layers of the SoundGhost plugin together. And this is just the bit that it's adding. Okay, so this by itself doesn't do much for me, doesn't say much to me. Mm. Like uh, what I'm hearing is the first one, it sounds like a big draw of knickknacks and coins and maybe some marbles just being slid around backwards and forwards. Yeah. That chopped up. The second one is maybe like a close mic of a gurgling brook yep. put through a couple of bits and pieces, bit crushed. And yeah, it's just fine, but it's not. It's not exciting me. Well, let me send you then another example, which has the dry loop. I'm really excited. And then the three different versions with those three different editions. Okay, so it'll play four times. First time without anything and then adding. Okay.
you know, it feels like it chunks the drums a bunch. Yeah. Which I know is a huge thing for me. When, when you, you get drums and they're working and you try and turn them up, but they're already right at the top of the waveform. Yeah. And you just want chunkier sounds. This sounds like it's going to do that. I'll say this sounds very different to me from Groove Shadows. Like what I'm hearing still is a cool synth texture mapped to your drums. Mm. What Groove Shadows gave me was a live feel. Right. This much more feels just like something that will sit under the drums and chunk them up a bit. Yeah. I mean, here I've kind of made them a bit more homogenous by layering different ones but you've got all these different like foley sounds mm. like bits of paper and crinkly bits of plastic bubble wrap you know coat hangers pencils oh interesting and weird electronic things buzzing and slightly glitching and things that you can add in huh. but the other great thing about it is that the way it works is that you have some control over the sample and also over the envelope follower okay so for any given sound like if you just have like a a paper being crumpled up kind of sound. You can adjust its pitch, so immediately that gives you some control over how it feels. Mm. You can adjust its tone, because it gives you like a high-pass and low-pass filters on it. Okay. And also you can adjust the response of the envelope follower. So you can decide how much attack there is in the sound, how much it follows the attack of the drum parts. Right. And also how long it extends past each drum hit. Right, okay, so presumably you could tighten that way up to the hits. Oh yes, very much. So you'd hardly notice it, and it would just feel like it was giving each hit a slightly different character. Right, yes. Okay, I like the adaptability, and as you say, being able to bring in your own samples. So the envelope follower, does that mean that it also follows the frequency profile of the drum sound? No, no, I don't think it's a frequency-specific thing. So it's literally just a level envelope follower. But it, it can be super quick. Mm. I mean, it's so quick that if you have some sample in there that is quite sustained and warm, sounding, it'll create clicks in it because it's opening the envelope follower so quickly. Oh, nice. To some extent, one of the great things about it for me is this ability to create rhythmic textures that relate to a given beat mm. as little drops and little fills and things but that don't actually use the sounds of the beat. So you can make anything into something that relates to whatever your beat is. Right. Yes, 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 yes. That makes a lot of sense. And if you start to think about the ramifications of it, you could do things like putting that into a delay. Oh, okay, yes. So that your delay isn't a delay of the drum kit. It's a delay of that weird textural sound. There's all sorts of cool stuff, mm. particularly because it has a little switch on it that enables you to mute the input. So it'll just give you the sample output and not what you fed it with. Yeah. So you can treat it as a send effect, which course, immediately, radically increases what you can do with EQ and whatever else and post-processing on it if you want. One of my cheapest, dirtiest music production what's-its is if I need to just drums to feel a little fuller, yep. I will send them to a delay yeah. that's, I don't know, three-eighth notes or three-sixteenth notes or something if, if we're in double time. Mm -hmm. And then just high-pass that yeah. so that we're not getting kind of conflicting kick information. And then that will do so much. It gets you 80% of the way in four clicks yeah. to a kind of more complex, more full drum kit. But the idea of being able to do that, but what you're delaying, as you say, is this kind of more background noise. Yeah. What I need to hear now... <laughs> is the old plugin through the new plugin. Because think about it, that would be amazing to me. Yeah. This isn't an either or. This is a what if we put chicken, beef and bacon on the sandwich. <laughs> it's like one of those New York deli subs that has so much meat and stuff. It's all hanging out the side and falling into the wrapper. We'll call it the CPU sizzler and it'll be magnificent. 
I mean, the thing that I just love about this plugin mm. is how it does something so quickly and easily. You can pretty much put it on anything, mm. just go through a few of the little preset samples, mm -hmm. mix in a little bit of it, and all of a sudden, the thing sounds like it's a bit more alive and has a bit more character and a bit more grain to it. I was going to say, because my, my question always with, with this sort of thing is I can see immediately its potential for like starting a track with. Yeah. You know, you think to yourself, well, I'm going to use this drum library and pop some of this on. If you hadn't done that, if you'd already got to the point where you were trying to finish a track, what is a problem that you would have that you would bring this in to try and solve? Oh, it would be if I felt that... It felt a bit sterile and empty and programmed. Okay, yeah. Because the sample itself, I don't think is tempo synced. Right. So it just runs through its length as the track goes, and then it's the envelope generator that that kind of syncs it, so to speak, to the track. So it doesn't repeat. Right. Oh. In the same way that your tempo does or whatever. That makes sense, because that way you're, you know, let's say that it's a rustle or whatever that's syncing up with a snare. You could have a, like, clicky thing in the middle of this sample's response to the snare, which will give you, like, a little double hit sound on that snare. But then the next time it comes, it's just at a different point in the played through sample. Yes. Okay. So it gives you that same thing, which... I think genuinely modular synths do really well of continuous evolution. Yeah. Or just continuous. Evolution feels like it's going somewhere, but just never quite the same twice. And it's also a textural thing. It's the fact that you can differentiate sections of your track with slightly different, almost kind of subliminal textures. Mm. It's such a brilliant mixing tool because if you used it in a more slightly more subtle way than I did in those examples, it doesn't really change anything fundamental about the track. Mm. It just gives it a nice little character. Right, so you're not going to have to go and build it from the bottom up again. Yeah, and it's just super easy to use because you don't need to temper sync anything. You just mm. pick a preset and fade it in a bit. You just slap it on. And there's 200 different samples you can use any of your own samples yeah i can definitely see the appeal so what do you reckon the price is now generally when we get to this point i go what i think is quite high <laughs> because you know a, a lot of the time i think to myself well look all the engineering and the rest that's gone into this okay this sounds like an innovative idea but okay well actually, small sidebar how is this more nuanced than a side-chained gate because it sounds the more you describe it the more it sounds to me like a gate that's taking its input as this drum thing i mean the thing is there's nothing in here that you couldn't do in a different way Right. What's great about it is that it's super easy to get it to do this. It's got the pitching built into it. It sorts out the sample looping and everything automatically. You know, if you think about doing it from first principles, you'd have to have a track that had your sample on it that was looped. Yes. You'd have to have a like some kind of envelope follower or gate or whatever on, on that track, fed via sidechain from your whatever track you wanted to put it on. It would be a hassle. And then if you wanted to change different samples, you'd have to import different samples onto the track and try them out. Yeah. And if you wanted to pitch shift them, then you'd have to pitch shift them within your DAW. Whereas it's just the ease with which you can flip between different things. You can hear them straight away. You can duck out the feed track straight away you can put it directly on the track rather than making it as a send if you want i see that handiness and yeah the, the plug and playness of it and also to be fair a gate doesn't do quite the same thing as this does mm. you know a gate would open and let a bit of the stuff out on the highest peaks whereas this actually follows the entire envelope and applies that to the track which is a slightly different thing okay so it's not just is it above or below this threshold it actually it's responsive to the whole shape yeah okay so it'll respond to the smaller hits as well as to the bigger hits in proportion so I think I would bulk if this was more than 60, 70 pounds. Okay. Anything under that seems fair chips to me. Well, it is 3,900. <laughs>
Pence. Oh, <laughs> now I've got to do math. Really? Okay, coming in at 30. It's 39 pounds, but it's currently on discount 29 pounds. Okay, I like them for that because I could. I would believe you if you said that it was three. I was going to struggle with 3,000. I would have believed you said it was three, 400 pounds. And you know, that's, that's a market that they're looking at. But this, they really do seem to be saying, we haven't reinvented the wheel. We're not submitting this to like audio science journals. Yeah. But here's a really handy way, which means that you don't have to go and record pencil sharpening. Just the samples on their own are worth 30 quid. And then with all the little convenience elements to it. It's quality of life stuff. No, I see that. It's a kind of a pocket money purchase, really, isn't it? It's great. Well, yeah. You know, if you're going to use it at all, it'll be worth the money. And for me, I think it's rapidly going to get used to death. <laughs> <laughs> Now, as a long-time PC user, it's rare that I would have Apple-related news, but I have two bits of Apple-related news this month. Okay, hit me. And the first one is about uh, the iPod. Really? Do you know what year it is? Who's who's the Prime Minister? I mean, who knows at this point, but... Do you remember the iPod being launched? I God, yes, I do. I remember those really catchy ads where people in silhouette danced on block colour backgrounds. Yes. I remember holding on to my Sony CD Walkman for an extremely long time afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> in what I what I called a, a rebellious statement, but was just in fact entirely financially motivated. <laughs> I mean, it was it was huge. It, well, more to the point, it was tiny. Yes. Well, I mean, it was launched back in two thousand and one. Oh God, really? More than twenty years ago. Don't know. I needed to know that, but okay, carry on. And do you remember what what the kind of strapline was for it? Oh, music in your pockets. Very close. Or it was a specific number of songs in your pocket. Right, that was the one. Uh, yeah, nine hundred and five. Very close. A thousand songs in your pocket was the strap line. Okay, yeah, that's more catchy than nine hundred five. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna give that one. Give that one to Steve Jobs. You know, we we both gave it our best shot, <laughs> and I think Steve nailed this one. Well done, Steve. <laughs> See you on the court for the next. And we've talked in the past about my prediction at the time it came out. We have talked about this because it is your most prescient prediction that I know of. That it was soon going to be such an anathema to own a track. Mm. How absolutely pointless. <laughs> Why would you pay to store that on your device rather than just stream it? Yeah. And I scoffed at what you said because at that point I had a CD collection. And, you know, how much more convenient than a CD collection would an iPod be? But you'd seen as far as Spotify. So I kind of predicted the death of the iPod Mm. the moment it was released. I just (laughs) didn't want to get on board because I thought, well... There's no point. It's a stopgap. Mm. And so the news this month is that Apple have finally discontinued their final iPod. Really? The curse of Mike Senior's prediction has finally... <laughs> 20 years taking its toll. They're, it was last updated in 2019 with the iPod Touch. Okay. But they have finally discontinued it. Apparently you can still buy it where stocks last, but it's it's gone now officially. I am amazed that someone's job... Imagine going to a party in 2019 and someone say, what are you doing? You say, I'm working on the iPod touch <laughs> that's just me what still yeah there you go i think you nailed it i mean I, I adore the perfectionism but i think the ipod touch has done its thing now 2019 that's absurd although you know i i don't think they're idiots i wonder who the market was oh i'm sure there was still a market for people who still hadn't hopped on board the streaming revolution because if you think 
how much in recent years the boomers have now got onto streaming, like we were talking about last month. Right, yeah, yeah. So that means that there were those people left to get onto streaming. Yeah, and who were more familiar and more at ease with the ownership model than with the streaming model. Yeah, because, I mean, so my card got stolen, it's all fine, it was a bit annoying. But while I've been busy, my Spotify premium has lapsed. Right. And in order to kind of throw a tantrum, (laughs) I have to jump through 500 different hoops to get Spotify free back working again before I get this to work. Yeah. So it has meant that much as a boomer might have feared, I went from having access to all music in the world to suddenly in rehearsal wanting to pull up a track yeah, and having no music. The, the tap was turned off. It was because that tap is not under my control. That tap is someone else's and I was just renting it. And also I've noticed how, I mean, I've been doing mixed review for a long time now and I mm. have put Spotify links and how some of those Spotify links now link to slightly different versions of the track. No way. I haven't absolutely confirmed this, but I'm pretty sure. That's really bad. I was listening to one where I hadn't linked to some kind of remaster version. And then when I went to it, it took me to a remaster version. Uh. And it's like the Taylor's version versions of things replacing the original versions. Mm -hmm. You don't have that control. You can't lock it in a time and a place. Yep, it just is this. Or it's like, um, you know, Amazon censoring books that you've already bought after the fact. Yes, yes, after they've come out. Or like, yeah, I mean, Netflix editing TV shows that you've been watching. I mean, retcon. I guess it was ever thus with TV, but Netflix feels like my life. Yeah. And I kind of assume that I can go back and watch stuff. And it feels different if it gets just taken away. But the fact that they will just quietly make a change Mm. and not tell you. Yeah, it's not great. Now, the death of the iPod reminds me of a cracking little poster that was on the wall of a local studio here in Munich. Okay. It's recreating that scene at the end of Empire Strikes Back. Mm -hmm. The climactic lightsaber fight between Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. Mm. But instead of Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, they have this black cassette and this white iPod. And the cassette is saying to the iPod, I am your father. And the <laughs> iPod is going, no! That is excellent. But the great thing about it is that you could probably reverse that poster now. now oh, my word. Because cassette and vinyl sales are shooting up. Through the roof, yeah. And the iPod's just been discontinued. <laughs> yeah, so hey, built to last, I think. <laughs> yeah. Now, the other little bit of Apple-related news is not really product news at all. It's just a little kind of personal interest story I happen to chance upon. Okay. You know the television program Location, Location, Location? Uh, Vaguely, it's interesting houses and we look around them. Well, the presenter of that program is a lady called Kirsty Allsop, Mm. who presents various other programs as well. Mm -hmm. And she was recently interviewed. And in this interview, she talked about how her kids kept violating their screen time rules. Okay. And that she got so annoyed by it that she ended up smashing their iPads. Oh, wow. To quote, I banged them on the table leg. (gasps) Oh, no. Now, the thing about that is that initially I thought, oh, yeah, just in a fit of pique, she broke the iPad. And then I thought, hang on, it's not an iPad she's talking about here. Yeah. It's iPads. So this isn't just some moment of ah kind of thing. No, No, it's it's a really sustained... Sustained rage Mm -hmm. to get both of the iPads, or more than two iPads, I don't know how many kids there are, and smash them all on the table there. Oh my God. Okay. I mean, that sounds horrible. I'm not not sure exactly what she's doing on our podcast. Not sure why you've invited (laughs) this very angry person to join us for our monthly chinwag, but um, (laughs) but I'm I'm, I'm in the vibe. Well, it was because of a second thing that she said. Mm. And that was that another run-in she'd had with Apple technology was that, uh, you know, AirPods. Yeah. The wireless headphones. Yeah. Do you have any wireless headphones like that? I don't know, but I'm aware of them. No, I mean, neither do I. 
And she provides another persuasive reason not to have them. Okay. Because she apparently managed to swallow one of her AirPods while <gasps> taking her vitamins. Oh my gosh. <laughs> there is a level of poetic irony there, isn't there? <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, I, the concept of very small, expensive things that are desirable for people to nick and easy to drop, I just have always felt, you know, I just don't see the, the return on investment there. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a $4.99 wired head headphones person myself and always will be in that <laughs> yeah i've got my podcast listening headphones and then i've got my music listening and my music listening headphones live on my desk and are not allowed outside <laughs> there's just horses for courses i think yeah apparently she managed to uh, to chuck it back up soon afterwards oh god good i guess well yeah but also i thought to myself okay she said that rather kind of off the cuff it's like seems curiously practiced <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that says. You swallowed your iPod. (laughs) The other thing that occurred to me was that I wonder whether one of the kids in Revenge had snuck it into her pillbox. (laughs) (laughs) Another question that came up is that if you turned the volume up, Mm. would you have still been able to hear it? Whoa. (laughs) Put your ear to her kind of chest or something. That's an amazing idea. That, okay, now I want to do it. Mike, this is not the way the story was meant to go at all. Now I'm genuinely desperate to try this. Now, given these subjects of this month's news, John, I figured that there really could be only one toast folio this month. Mm. And here it is. But as great as that toast folio is, it is nothing without its context. Oh my gosh! That sounds really good. <laughs> I wish I'm listening again. I'm listening again. I lo- I really like that. That's like oh, that's really funky. It's like gravel core or something. I don't even know. But I I like it very much. It's nice, isn't it? <laughs> it's an extremely innovative piece of toast you're handing over there. I mean, the moment I saw an import button, there was only one thought on my mind. So which toast recording did you use? That is the fabled Google-whacking stereo toast folio. That is the stereo toast folio. I think we need to broaden that out. I mean, I I had to chop it up a bit to make it a bit more continuous. Well, it works surprisingly and one could say upsettingly well. (laughs) On such an innovative piece of toast, I have something of a riddle for you. Oh, okay. I'm going to tell you a little something about what you're going to listen to. Mm. And you're, you're going to tell me more about it. Anything that you could guess you could assume from this fact. It's been a while since we've gone this way. So basically, it's a video of a singer and an in total 14-string guitar. 14-string guitar, okay, wow. So I just want you to give me kind of an an era, say, give me a style, what's the video maybe going to look like? Where is it happening? I mean, 14-string, I think it goes further than just like a 12-string. So there's not like just doubled strings. It makes me think, okay, you've got a guitar that has strings on it that have a fretboard, and the, the, but then there are some resonating strings somehow involved as well. Like one of those kind of, oh. like a sitar or something that have the resonators as well as the ones that you play on. Okay, so I can say now that they are all played strings. Oh, wow. All played strings. Which are all played at least at some point during this. Okay. And that the person playing the guitar is also the person singing. Is it one of those like 15 neck? 
I mean, <laughs> you, guitars. You are absolutely headed the double flying V right the way down that I could have hoped you would. Because to me, <laughs> the idea of of a singer and a, a guitar with more than one neck, mm. which totals fourteen strings, it's hair metal, isn't it? Yes, it's glam rock. Yeah, it's smoke machines. But it's, but it's not just any old hair metal. It's hair metal that is posturing hair metal that goes beyond <laughs> any musical taste boundaries to the point of it all being just a, a one-upmanship show thing. Exactly. More bouffant than thou. Oh, oh, fantastic use of bouffant. Um, <laughs> all right, and I, I am now sending you the video. Okay, I'm excited. Oh, and just before we start, I have to say, I approach this with, well, not exactly trepidation, but slight mystification, because yeah. I can't imagine you having anything to do with that kind of stuff. <laughs> this is supposed to be jam. I mean, unless it's that we're taking the <laughs> out of it. Well, anyway, let's see. I've got it coming up. Wow. So I adore this artist and he's collaborated with other of my favorite artists. The person in question is Marco Sacardin and he plays the Theorbo or Tiorba or Arch Lute. It's got lots of different names. And for me, watching this a couple of days ago was just a, a real nothing new under the sun reminder. <laughs> because this is a medieval instrument. And even back then, someone looked around at four string and six string instruments yeah. and thought to themselves, what if I... Hold my beer. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> I want to sing impressive songs while playing a total of 14 different strings. Let's make them whatever it is, seven guitar and... And, oh, seven harp, I think. It feels a bit like that. I believe that the lowest seven are the first through seventh of the chosen key. So they're diatonic in order. Yeah. And it, it can sound a little quaint mm. right now, I think, because it is a lute. It's gut strings. It's a medieval singing style. But listening to it on my studio system, it oh, yeah. felt, I mean, you had that nice weight to the lower notes. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, that's why you have those lower notes. I mean, every guitarist wishes their instrument made a sound like that. Right. I mean, so the reason that it's got harps strings is because in order to get those deep bassy notes yeah. on gut, you just have to make it far longer than the human arm can reach. So it's a huge instrument as well. Like it's a statement piece by any definition of the word. I mean, it's like some kind of Heath Robinson contraption on the end <laughs> where the headstock is. The headstock kind of extends out. It's almost like MC Escher, the angle I'm looking at it now. It's like, yeah. does that work? It's a piece of engineering. It's gorgeous. People these days with their seven-string basses thinking that they've invented... With their Chapman sticks, <laughs> thinking that they're doing something new. Yeah, yeah. And is no. Neither the method or the aim is particularly novel. I mean, is it a bit one of those instruments that are a bit like the harp? I mean, was it Stravinsky or something like this? The harpists spend half their time tuning and the other half playing out of tune? <laughs> <laughs> you kind of think it must be murder to tune it. Yes. Oh, yeah. And especially because it's nylon and or, or gut. And no, I, I can only imagine that's literally hell. And like modulation is, is not an option, really, is it? Completely not. <laughs> With the lower strings. No. Unless your modulatory middle section only happens to use the higher strings. Well, <laughs> which is fine. I get Maybe that's how they were written in. I don't know. Kind of dictates your arrangement for you. Yeah. So he has a gorgeous voice. He plays and sings at the same time. It's ostentatious hair metal, but just with a tidy haircut and a black suit. It's a big old body the instrument has as well. And that's that gracefully kind of curved, slightly pear-shaped body. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful to look at. Which, of course, comes from the oud, comes from the Middle East. Right. It all travels around in this shape, which becomes violins and guitars and... 
rebubs in different places. But you know, it doesn't have that second edge on it. Like on an acoustic guitar, you have a front and a back plate. You just got a front plate and then there's this kind of lovely ovoid bit on the back of it. This bowl back. The only kind of modern instrument I know, like modern orchestral instrument, even though that is a stretch, the mandolin. You still get bowl back mandolins. Ah, right. And I have not seen bowl back guitars. I haven't seen bowl back violins. I mean, obviously they've got a bit of swell. I might have seen a bowl back guitar, but... I'm not sure. It's not a common thing, certainly. No, because, you know, it's much harder to make, I have to assume, than like making a box. Well, yeah. I mean, I look at it and I find myself just admiring the carpentry and thinking, (laughs) oh, as an instrument maker, the satisfaction you must get from creating this beautifully curved surface out of wood Mm -hmm. that is not a beautifully curved material. (laughs) I can't remember who the artist was who had a four-necked guitar (laughs) with each neck sticking at kind of right angles from the next. And it was mounted on like a chest harness such that it could be spun. Um, so you could switch between. I wonder if in 500 years someone will be... Was this party piece, I've got a brand new combine harvester? <laughs> you could be forgiven for thinking. As, as ever with multi-necked guitars, the most impressive moment was as he walked out on stage, after which it was just someone swapping between guitars a bunch and playing one at a time. Because Singing that's... those dashing young men in their flying machines. <laughs> Spinning his guitar. <laughs> and sprinting around the stage going vroom, vroom. That would have made for more entertaining. Meow. <laughs> meow. Yes, it would absolutely be meow. You're quite, quite right. So yeah, I've been going down that rabbit hole and listening to a huge amount of him. And it's just a lovely musical style as well, that kind of baroque. Mm-hmm. And it's more kind of rubato and more improvised than you somehow normally expect with baroque music from your Vivaldi and things. Complete. I mean, for me, this is one of the, if I could fix one misinterpretation among those who've learned a little about art music pre-1900, what we call little C classical music, is that it's all slavishly accurate to metronomic sheet music. Yeah. Whereas, in fact, with a few exceptions, none of it is. <laughs> you know, like like Renaissance and Baroque musicians were expert improvisers because all they got was chord symbols. They were playing from real books. Yeah. And sure, they used figured bass instead of, like, letters and numbers, but it's exactly the same thing. Yeah. And so they kind of jammed and they responded to soloists. And even from the most kind of basic sense, the, I don't know, Mozart, okay, someone who, for me, is, like, you know, that is pretty much you play what's on the page. Yeah. Most of the time. Mistakes are allowed. Yeah. And that's before the rise of big cadenzas and stuff. Even there, no orchestra has ever tried to just knock it through. Yeah. Everything pulls and pushes and breathes. The dots are a reference, a guide, and you try and find the stuff inside there. I did also appreciate his guitar technique. The way it wasn't just like strumming things in the kind of cliched troubadour way. You know, he's doing little bits where he's damping <laughs> strings and then suddenly yeah. changing the registration and things. I was surprised somehow by the range of it. And just the range of tones as well Mm. i think the damping is incredible like when you have 14 strings oh yeah you rarely want more than three of them ringing at a time you have to be super precise and seven of them because of course when you're on the fretboard you can often mute just because you're changing the note on that string so there's no way it's going to continue ringing but when seven of the strings will happily just sing until the cows come home unless you actively mute them Mm. brilliant brilliant player oh we did miss one trick though i I didn't see any shredding I mean, he's missing a trick over the metal guys. <laughs> you know what? Ingvi Malmsteen would not be impressed. I wonder if he ever is. I. <laughs> oh, God, you know, I'm sure that's only a Google search away. Ingvi Malmsteen on the Theorbo, because he's so obsessed with Baroque music, I can't believe he hasn't played a Theorbo and done something Ingvi Malmsteen ish on it. Surely. That's a Google search for another moment when I should be doing some work. Okay. <laughs> uh- <laughs> 
<laughs> you were saying? Well, so I've listened to this whole performance a couple of times and I hadn't thought about shredding, but now you mention it, I really resent the fact that he didn't. <laughs> Because there is no way that he can't. No. You know, the calibre of player he is, I just wouldn't believe he went, oh no, that's a bit fast for me. No, <laughs> nonsense. So the time has come once again to reveal more of our Project Studio face palms. <laughs> and this month, I have one that is not only box fresh, oh, yeah. but also appears to be destined to afflict me repeatedly over the coming months. Oh. So it's a kind of boomerang face palm. So we've had face palms from the past. We've even had a few from the present. But you're telling me this is a face palm also from the future. Yeah. This is ghost of face palm future right here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Amazing. Ghost of face palm yet to come. Okay. Gorgeous. <laughs> Except it's the same as Christmas present and Christmas past. It's, like a, it's a three ghoster. <laughs> I like the idea of these three ghosts just showing you exactly the same thing. This is what you used to screw up. Yeah. Next one shows up being like, yeah, it's actually the same thing as you're doing at the moment. And you think, gosh, I'm going to be a changed person. And Ghost of Future turns up being like, you're not. You're not. This is actually, you're just going to keep doing this. The Christmas Carol's all about redemption, but this isn't a redemption story. <laughs> okay. I'm excited. What do we got? Okay. Well, I don't know if you know this, but I have a number of pet topics that I go into too much depth. It's kind of my nature. Mm. And one of them is stereo widening effects. Okay. Like anything to make anything, whether it's mono or stereo, to make it a bit wider. Mm. It's always a bit of a cheap thing. You make it sound a bit wider and everyone will think it sounds better kind of thing. Yeah, that's definitely how I use it. You use a fair few of these, don't you? Well, honestly, I only use one. It's just mid-sides. Yeah. So I, I did it kind of manually with phase flipping and then I found a plug-in that would just do that. Yeah. And occasionally I'll whack up the sides. You know, well, actually, not even occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> Always at the second chorus. Yeah. I'll whack up the sides and... Jobs are good. Works just fine. Yeah. Is that basically what all of them are doing? Is it all mid-size or are there totally different... Well, no. I mean, that's the thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've got so much into the weeds with it. There are loads of the beggars. Uh, yeah, you can kind of do it with EQ and EQ. delays and modulation and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, there's loads. Of them. You can do it with tuning. You can do it with pitch shifting. I mean, this is another rabbit hole. How on earth could an EQ widen the sound? One of the oldest tricks in the book from the analog days. You know, they used to have those 30-band graphic EQs with the tiny little sliders. Yes. And they'd be stereo and you could link them or not link them. Mm -hmm. And so if you put something into that, unlinked the stereo channels mm -hmm. and then did a kind of a zigzag pattern on each of them but in the opposite direction okay so you know when you boosted one slider on one of the eqs you'd cut with the other one like two comb filters sort of interlacing with each other exactly that okay and what it does is it takes anything that's mono and pans all its information all the way around the stereo picture. Oh, right. So the most basic version of this effect would be if you put all the low stuff to one side and all the high stuff to the other, but that would just sound like all the low stuff was on one side. Yes. And this way, because there's just as much high stuff on one side and low stuff on the other, but it's all slightly different, yeah. you get breadth without tossing different bits of the sound in an audible way to different sides. Yes. Oh, our forefathers were a bit clever. Those ancients. Oh, but there are loads of them. Trust me, there are loads of them and so many in fact 
that I wrote a whole chapter in Mixing Secrets about <laughs> stereo stuff. <laughs> and okay. I just recently thought, you know, I haven't really done any video demonstrations of most of this kind of stuff. Mm. And so I've just started a new video series for my patrons where I'm going to be looking at all various different options of these and comparing them and talking about their pros and cons. Because, mm. you know, it's not just the, the way in which they widen things and the sound of the widening, which can vary slightly between the different methods. Mm. But it's also that each one has slightly different side effects, things that you don't necessarily want from it. It might make it a bit chorusy, might make it seem a bit further back in the mix, might, you know, there are all sorts of things it could do, make it slightly, feel slightly out of tune. Huh. Also, the big thing is like mono compatibility. If you widen something, will it make your mono sound horrible or will it create kind of weird tonal effects or make it seem quieter in mono and that kind of stuff? Right. And it's kind of at once creative in the different ways you can do it. Yeah. And at the same time, there's lots of little technical small stuff about it. Mm-hmm. And it's all this stuff that is proving to be an absolute pain in the ass in terms of doing video demonstrations of it. Really? The first thing is just that stereo widening effects, some of them you create by using a send effect and some of you create by actually inserting something onto the channel. But whichever way you do it, there's always the danger of loudness bias. Right, okay, yeah. You know, if you kind of add something to widen something, it doesn't just widen it, it can make it seem louder as well. And then then you're going to prefer it. Yeah. You know, if you're going to do a demonstration that actually objectively compares the sounds of these things and the effect they have on a mono signal when you're doing kind of A-B comparisons and stuff, you have to constantly keep loudness compensating so that the loudness bias isn't part of the demonstration you're doing. Yeah. If it's just an insert effect, often you can do that by just flipping the bypass button or whatever. Right. But you can't really do that when you're doing it with a send effect. No. So you have to get a special loud compensation plug-in that you put on the bus channel and then compare it to what's on mm. the... So it's this extra little bit of routing that... I mean, that's just an annoying thing everyone has to deal with. Well, another thing is that stereo effects are often quite subtle. Mm. So there's always the danger of, like, you know, you switch to one of the setups without realising that you're tweaking the other one. Oh, wow. So there's all that usual facepalm nonsense. Yeah, that mess there. Yep. But the specific facepalm that has been just getting me again and again and again and... It, it will continue to do so, <laughs> is the fact that you're often wanting to switch things in and out of mono. So you might have a bit of stereo audio, and you want to hear how the widener affects only a mono source. So you might have a mono switch at that point to mono the stereo signal before it hits the widener effect. Okay. I mean, for example, MS widening. You can't widen a mono input with MS. No. Because there's nothing in the side signal. No, which has always annoyed the heck out of me. Yeah. And you know, some of them, they'll widen a mono signal without mono compatibility problems, mm. but if you try it with a stereo signal, you get weird mono compatibility effects. Okay. This is what I'm saying. So it gets really fiddly and technical. And is it changing the tone of the mid signal, the tone of the side signal? Oh, <laughs> Mike, I came in here with one simple solution I used and just sort of casually looking down this rabbit hole that you were interested in and I didn't see. Yeah. But yes, the more you pull me in, the more I'm like, you know what? Yeah. Occasionally I try and do my mid sized fix all and then realize I've got basically nothing in the sides. So when I'm just, you know, why? Widening that way, it's just making these two shakers really loud. Yeah. Or booming out my reverb yeah. without much interesting information. So now I need to find a comb filter solution. <laughs> I need to. Hmm. Oh dear, this is all happening. And now your problems will become my problems. Now, welcome to my world. <sighs> welcome to my face part. Well, you say welcome. It doesn't it doesn't seem particularly welcoming here. Yeah. So I might have to like be switching the source to mono. Mm. I might have a mono switch in the return of the effect to check its mono compatibility. Mm. But then also, and this is the thing that keeps catching me out. Yeah. It's like to access that little mono switch, I have to go into the plug-in chain and select it and press the button. And so I just get a bit lazy. Yeah. And if I'm thinking, oh I'll just quick 
completely check mono compatibility and I happen to be in the Reaper master channel, mm. I'll just hit the Reaper mono button. Yeah. Or I'll hit the mono button on my analog monitor controller. Yeah, keep it easy. And then I'm trying to compare something and I've got the mono button switched in that I don't realise I have. And then <laughs> I undo that and then realise, no, actually, there's the one, it's the one on the Reaper channel. Yeah. Or the amount of face palming that has gone on <laughs> is in- Oh. oh, the thing about it is that I do it so often now that whenever I start using a something that I think is going to be a subtle setting, almost as a kind of a reflex now because I've been burnt by it so often, I'll yeah. just crank whatever control it is to start with. Right. Yes. Just briefly to check that it's working. <laughs> and actually, you know what? That is a something I do as well, which is not a coincidence because as some listeners will know, Mike was the person who gave me my very first lessons in audio control and mixing. And this was one of your core tenets. Yeah. When you put something on, start by doing it too much, you know, because it is so easy to not be sure what sound it's making if you just go for that very subtle Well, except the, my message was start doing it too much and then dial it back. Whereas I think the message you got was start doing it too much and then do it a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> I maybe I maybe didn't attend the second half of the lesson. Yeah. But my god, is it fun to compress things to death. Sadly, that is all we have time for this month. But if you would like more of our trademark nonsense, then do head over to patreon.com slash Project Studio Tea Break, which is the spiritual home of dumb questions in our extras this month. <laughs> and there are bonus news items. Mm. We have the Algonaut Atlas 2 that John was very happy about. Extremely. And we have the Dynamount X2R series, Mike Robots. Mm. And of course, we have Sneezing Gnomes and <laughs> the Michael Ball Aspiration. I remember the, the Mike Robots. Yeah. I was so... So very not convinced by them at first, and then and then you, you brought me round. Like honestly, I thought it was the most unnecessary. I'm giving it away for free. You'll have to listen yourself. You can, and we we very much enjoy it when you do. Facebook us on facebook.com forward slash pstb books, and tweet us on twitter.com forward slash pstb tweets. And also, we got an email. We do indeed. It is tbreak at projectstudiotbreak.com. Anything to plug this month, John? Not a darn thing. Go out, live your <laughs> lives, and and be wonderful. I'm I'm plugging and therefore taking responsibility for your personal growth. How about you, Mike? Yeah, well, I thought I might plug my mailing list this month because I've not plugged it in a while. It's the uh, Small Studio Secrets News mailing list. It's been going for years and years and years on the uh, Cambridge MT site. Nice one. Just because about a year ago it moved weekly rather than monthly, and it means that it gives me the opportunity to post updates about you know the mix review, the multi-track site, you know, podcasts, various other projects. I'm doing mm. and yeah there's just quite a lot of free stuff that comes out on it now I'm kind of doing posts about Dolby Atmos and Q&A responses and things mm. recommending gear software awesome free tutorials as well like videos and podcast episodes and things from time to time so if you fancy getting involved with that it's a pretty much a weekly thing how do you get on that mailing list uh, just head over to cambridge-mt.com slash mailing list imaginatively <laughs> enough <laughs> ingenuity mm. that's the key when coming up with links yeah yeah sounds good to me so with that it is time for for me to wish you to our pets. Ta-ra!